Revelation chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Well, if you got a letter like that, you—that's like if they, somebody sent it in the mail today, and it's got that stamp, that red stamp, urgent. You know, yeah. you want to—you want to read that, right? Well, this is a message from God, a message from Jesus Christ that was given to him by God the Father. We studied grace and peace, the message grace and peace last time, and it took us down through verse 8, and we could we could spend a long time in verses 4 through 8, but we, we caught the overview there. Verse 9 is what we'll read this evening, and, and the title is The Setting. Okay, so we know what the message is about, so what's what's going on when this when this happened when this when this was declared unto John? Okay, now we're going to get into verse ten, Lord willing, in a couple weeks, and it is part of the setting. We'll read both both verses, but there's something else to be seen in verse ten. He said in verse nine, "I John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation." And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And there's a comma and then boom, the rest of the book takes place. (laughs) That's a big comma. It really is. But we're going to be looking at verse 9 tonight. I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's a big verse. And we can make a study, a separate study out of this verse completely. Okay. But it's written by John. And we understand that this, this, the book of Revelation is written by the hand of John. And we're told that he, was, that he is told to write these things down because people are supposed to read it. Right. But John, I, I think we've covered this before. And if we have, forgive me. So give me a minute. The, the name John means Jehovah has graced. I don't know if you knew that. Jehovah has graced or Jehovah is a gracious giver. Did you all know that? The name John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. Well, what a gracious gift it is that God Almighty in his providence gave John this book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we will see as we read through the, the letters to the churches and, and the, 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 the study of the crowns as we go through these things. There's a lot of here and now instruction for the people of God. And he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So if anybody's going to get what is said from the book of John, or excuse me, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, it should be us. Yeah. And... Just like I've told these men in our in our proverb study, 
the lessons from the churches and the lessons on those crowns and the lessons everywhere else, that's not for somebody else to hear. That's for me to hear. So if I'm if I'm studying the book of Proverbs or any other book and the book of Revelation as we're here tonight, and I say, you know what, somebody so and so needs to hear that, then I've missed I've missed the audience, right? That the audience is for us as an assembly, but us as individual church members as in this assembly. Okay. So Jehovah is a gracious giver. That's wonderful. It's a gracious gift that he's given us, this word of God, specifically this, this word of prophecy. There's a lot of blessing that you can read. Uh, when you're reading in, ver- in, in, in chapters 5 through 20 and things are terrifying, you can think that God, Jehovah is a gracious giver and that he has revealed by his word that his people will not go through the, through the, through the tribulation period. We'll be raptured out of here. Right. And those that are saved in the tribulation period, he is a gracious giver in that he has brought it known that they are just as saved as anybody else. And they will spend eternity with Jesus Christ in the presence of God. That's a gracious gift. All those promises are. It's a gracious gift to know. Even in the judgment, whenever the smoke is coming up in Revelation 19 and, and the and the multitudes shout, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. It's a gracious gift that he lets us know that that's what he suffered for his people and we never will. That's a gracious gift. It's a gracious gift to know that we will one day be like-minded totally as he is and see things from his perspective. That's a gracious gift. So we must understand that, 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 that John, by namesake, does, should bring some light on the fact that, that this is a gracious gift. The word of God is a gracious gift. The book of Revelation of Jesus Christ is a gracious gift. Jehovah, he, excuse me, John, he was a former roughneck fisherman. He was one of the, the sons of thunder, right? And he was in his conversion and in his, in, his, um, in his development process, in his sanctification, in his walk with Jesus Christ on this earth, he went from being uh, the son of thunder to John the Beloved. So he's just a man. What we know from verse 9, if you were to take a thousand-yard view at it, kind of squint at it and think, that I, I think I know what that means. John is telling us, hey, I'm just a man. I'm just a man, and I'm writing this to fellow men. I, 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 am, I am a child of God, and I've seen some pretty incredible things, and God told me to write these things and give them to you, and I'm writing them down and giving them to you. You see throughout the book of Revelation that John himself desires to worship the messenger that has come to him. And the messenger has told, it tells him repeatedly, stand up, don't worship me, I'm of thy brethren the prophets, right? So John is telling these seven churches, hey, I'm just the same John that you knew me from before, nothing special about me, I'm John, hear these words of the Almighty. He is that beloved apostle. So what else do we see? He says, I, John, who also am your brother, okay? So... When we're breaking this down, you see a, we're going to see a distinction between the family of God and the kingdom of God. And I believe the kingdom in this sense is the Lord's church as he established it. Okay, So a brother is one that is a, a family, right? So we can say, oh, yeah, yes, uh, Lex and Carissa and Layla, they're brother and sister and sister, right? They have the same genetic uh, makeup. They have the same blood running through their veins. So 
is John all of a sudden, you know, there's an old wrestler that Adam probably watched, I know I did, Hulk Hogan, and he called everybody brother. Is, is, is John everybody's brother, or who's he talking to? Are, are these all his extended family? I believe he's speaking to the extended family of Jesus Christ, the family of God. Those that were, that were bought by the blood of Christ and, and thus, as he says in First John, they're, they're heirs, they're the children of God. Behold, what manner of love hath the, hath the Father bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of the children of God. They're, they are uh, bl- blood-bought sinners all in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to children of God. He's writing to the children of God, but specifically in these seven different churches. He's writing to these seven churches, and we know they are because he says in uh, chapter 1, verse 4 of Revelation, John, to these seven churches, which are in Asia. Okay, So it's not seven kinds of churches. He's not writing to, to the Methodists and the Episcopalians and the, and the whoever. Right. These are seven churches that are started through I believe chain link succession yeah. that they are authorized through baptism and just as as the Lord Jesus Christ declared in Matthew chapter 28 that they would go forth preach teach baptize and then in Acts chapter 2 that they would continue in those things and he said I'd be with him to the end of the world. So the family of God and the the kingdom are two different things. Okay? The kingdom of God is made up of the family of God, but never, not everyone in the in the family of God is in the kingdom. We'll see that, okay? So every child of God, I mean, for, for a primary example, everyone in the Old Testament before John's baptism, okay? Every child of God, including John, before John's baptism, without baptism, they're not in the kingdom, Okay? But every child of God from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they are in the family of God. They are the children of God. So he says, I am your brother. I am writing to saved people. Okay. So blood before water. You can't. The most important thing is salvation. There's been plenty of, of unsaved church members. Okay. Blood there. I'm your brother, he says. So being a brother, he says, I am, I am also your brother. And companion in tribulation. That word companion means co-participant. Okay, co-participant in tribulation or persecution. So why why was he uh, being persecuted? Well, he tells us, right? He tells us at the end of verse number nine, uh, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He wasn't being persecuted because he did anything privately. Okay. And if you remember the, the scene in Daniel, when Daniel was arrested and then cast into the lion's den, Daniel was not arrested because he held the Lord in his heart. Da- Daniel was arrested because he acted out on his beliefs. Yeah. Okay. So then, being brother to these that are in Asia, he's saying, being your companion... We believe certain things, and because we believe certain things, we behave a certain way, and because we behave a certain way, persecution or tribulation has come. Okay. If life is easy as a child of God, I'm not doing it right. I shouldn't go out and try to make trouble. But as a, when he says, hey, I'm a brother in Christ, a natural response in this, in this lost and dying world is there will be tribulation. Okay. If you were to look 
in John chapter 16, John chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ talking to his apostles. John chapter 16 and verse 33, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in, my, that in me you might have peace. The tranquil state of a believer with their soul assured in Jesus Christ and before God, fearing nothing. In the world ye shall have tribulation or persecution, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Reconcile that. How could someone have peace and have tribulation at the same time? Well, a soul assured of God will behave a certain way in this world, and behaving a certain way, they will then be persecuted. There will be tribulation. Okay. So he says, I'm your brother in, in, in persecution. I, I'm your companion in persecution. These seven churches had several chastening lines, okay? Yet they were companions in tribulation. That in itself is a grace, right? None of these churches were perfect. Neither am I, neither are you. But there is a distinction between each of those in, in these churches and the present world around them, and we're going to study those churches extensively in weeks to come. So if someone, again, is a brother or sister or part of the family of God and is not experiencing tribulation in their life, get busy. He said go, right? He said go. It's easy to have no wind against your sail if your sail is not drawn. You raise your sail, wind's going to hit it. Okay. So, companion, then the question I have, am I a companion with John in tribulation? Again, I shouldn't go out and just start beating, beating a tree with a stick and trying to get myself in trouble. But if I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do, there will be persecution. Now, it might be a light persecution. You might not be invited to certain things. People, people might, you might feel ostracized. You know, that, that's a form of persecution. To the extent you might lose your life. That's a form of persecution. But to the extent of that, that's the Lord's business. But I, I would encourage us all to examine ourselves. At what degree? Now, there are some people that are more public than others. I mean, uh, let, let's be honest. Someone working in the public eye would have a different level of persecution than someone who is homeschooled. Right? So don't, don't compare yourself to one another. Take advantage of opportunities you have to broadcast the gospel and you will not have to look for persecution. You will not have to look for tribulation. It will find you and it will be unescapable, inescapable. Just do what the Lord told you to do. There has not been a faithful person recorded in the word of God that was a follower of God Almighty, Old Testament Messiah, New Testament Jesus Christ that did not find tribulation in this earth. So, just be obedient and there will be tribulation. Jesus Christ, we read it in John 16. He promised it. It would come. He said, companion, I, again, I encourage you, examine yourselves. Do you have tribulation? Are you a companion with John and those in these seven churches? Are you a companion in tribulation? He says, a companion, he says, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So if you follow the language, I, John, who am also your companion in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay? And the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? I believe this specifically is speaking of the Lord's assembly, His assembly. Not a universal church, not one that came from, from uh, 
the great whore, one of her harlot daughters, but one that was established by Jesus Christ. Yeah. Matthew chapter 11 brings some light on this. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And read ver start with me in verse 11, please. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What, boy, that's a, that's a designation out of the mouth of Christ, isn't it? Notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What in the world could that mean? And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. What started, what began during the time of John the Baptist? That's right. The Lord's assembly. Amen. The kingdom. Okay? So John's saying, I am your companion in the kingdom. It can't be the thousand-year kingdom because they're not in the thousand-year millennium. They're not in the eternal Father's kingdom like Jesus said, hey, I'll eat and drink with you in my Father's kingdom. That's not what it's talking about because John wasn't in the Father's kingdom because we're not in the Father's kingdom. What present kingdom started with John the Baptist was John a companion with with those seven churches in Asia. It has to be the Lord's assembly. It has to be. So the kingdom of heaven suffer violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So something was until John, and then John came, and he said, If you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So Elias in the book of, of, of uh, Malachi, Moses and Elijah were supposed to come before Jesus Christ came in his kingdom. And he says, If you receive it, this is Elias, meaning if you receive it. He did come before the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the, the establishment of the Lord's assembly. I believe then wholeheartedly when John says, I am your companion in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he's, he's speaking of, of church membership, of church affiliation. Yeah. Well, that, that may take the opinion of the kingdom from a big view to a small view in some people's mind. I've been told that, that I have a very low opinion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. My response to that is whoever says that would have a very low opinion of the veracity of Jesus Christ himself. What's veracity? You know what veracity is? Truth-telling ability. So if, if, if Jesus Christ didn't tell the truth and said he, he started his church and he would continue to be with it until the end of the age, and he didn't tell the truth that something started with John the Baptist known as the kingdom and would continue it, if he can't tell the truth, then, then, then that's, that's someone saying they have a very low opinion of him. They're calling him a liar. They're calling him a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ has to be true, and I believe he did start his kingdom, and I believe that's what kingdom John is speaking of in this instance. I also believe that this kingdom is speaking of the Lord's assembly. If you'll look in Matthew chapter 13, from, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can believe what he says. You don't, don't believe everything I say just because I say it, but believe everything the Lord said. In Matthew chapter 13, begin with, reading with me in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. And I'm going to need y'all's help with me. I need, you, I need you to read these words with me, just, just so you know, okay? 
Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The what? Say that word out loud. Kingdom. Kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed terrors among the wheat and went his way. It can't be the thousand-year kingdom because Satan will be bound. Yeah. It can't be the eternal kingdom because there is no enemy accessible to Jesus Christ. Yeah. It has to be this present time. So we're talking about the kingdom. Okay? But when, he, when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, the enemy, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou, then, uh, that, uh, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the first, uh, the first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them. Then gather the wheat into my barn. Will Jesus Christ take safe people in his thousand-year kingdom and say, You know what? Never mind, and cast them into judgment? The answer is no. Will Jesus Christ in the eternal glory of, of, what, of eternity, will he gather up saved people and say, you know what, there's crap in here, some unsaved people, you know, uh, something messed up, I need, I need to throw these people into judgment. No. But do unsaved people creep into the, the active kingdom, the, the Lord's assembly at times? Do they do that? And then they will be judged at the last, at the time of reaping. Has that happened? Paul talked about it. Jude talked about it. Peter talked about it. James talked about it. John talked about it. Jesus himself said, have I not told you you 12 and one is a devil? The kingdom. So when he says, I'm your companion in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he's saying, hey, look, I'm writing to church members and I myself I'm a church member. He didn't mention he's a pastor. That's not that's not relevant to what he's saying. I'm a I'm a church member with y'all. You're y'all are are are, are church, we're church members together. So we are companions in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You talk about Jehovah is a gracious giver. How how wonderful it is that he maintains his promise, but he has allowed us. Remember what he said: the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Raise your hand if you think you're the least. Am I the only one? So the least in the kingdom, which is the Lord's assembly, is greater than John the Baptist. What a gracious giver Jehovah is. And 1 John, we studied this, 1 John chapter 2. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, it says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, hereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us. Who? Antichrists. We've experienced that, haven't we? People go out from us. Are they antichrist? It's not for me to say. What's the Bible say? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they are not all of us. Again, this isn't, this isn't losing salvation. This is tares being in the kingdom and them rooting themselves out. Kingdom. They went out from us. So 
So no, I don't have an, a low opinion of the, of the Lord's kingdom. I have a high opinion of, of Jesus Christ and his promises and his ability to maintain his faithfulness toward his people. Thanks be to God, I believe that we are indeed companions in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What an honor. What a responsibility. What a responsibility. If anyone is to be a companion in the tribulation, the sufferings with Jesus Christ, it should be those who are companion and co-participants in the kingdom itself. He says, companion, continue reading. And you can see how this could be a multi-level series, even this one verse. He says in verse number nine, I, John, who am also your companion in the patience of Jesus Christ, the patience or the perseverance of Jesus Christ. You know, this is not the patience or perseverance of Joe Newell or Gary White or Adam Boyer or anybody else. This is the patience or perseverance of Jesus Christ. This is the word of patience. Because of the perseverance of Jesus Christ, that brotherhood can never be severed. Okay? Never be severed. The the bloodline of Jesus Christ, because we are bought with a price, even his precious blood, And we are the children of God by that blood, Ephesians chapter 1. The brotherhood that is established in Jesus Christ shall persevere. No one can lose their salvation. It's impossible. It's an impossibility. Not because of the perseverance of of me or the perseverance of you. Some people think they have to hold on to their salvation, otherwise they'll lose it. My salvation is built upon the perseverance of Jesus Christ. The patience of Jesus Christ. His people will suffer tribulation, but thank God, Jesus Christ perseveres. Remember we read in John chapter 16, you, in this world you have, will have tribulation. But what did he say? I have overcome the world. His patience, his perseverance, right. his victory Amen. maintains his people. Because of the perseverance of Jesus Christ, his kingdom shall not fall. Remember Matthew chapter 16? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not the perseverance of Peter or me or you. It's the perseverance of Jesus Christ. When does he get tired? Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. The perseverance of Jesus Christ, the patience of Jesus Christ in his assembly. His kingdom shall not fall. Thank God. His patience and his perseverance in his people, it shall not fall. It shall not. Now, I will err and I will die. And you will err and sin and die. He does not err. He does not lie. And he will live forever. His promises are sure. Thank God. So when he says in all these things, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Thank God. You know, that's quite a companionship. You know, can two, that's that's Bible, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, where's the agreement found? It's found in Jesus Christ. John was very different. These seven churches were very different from one another. What did they have in common? Their brotherhood and companionship and tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. That's what they had in common. 
We invite people here and we go other places for special meetings and services and whatever. We might have a lot of differences. What do we have in common? Well, I, I fellowship people of like faith and order, right? Like, like faith and practice, like faith and order. Those that are, and there's a lot of brothers and sisters I have in Jesus Christ, but they're not in the kingdom and they're not companion in tribulation and they're not, they're, they're not companion in the patience of Jesus Christ through the kingdom. There's a lot of blessings they're missing out on of eternal weight. You see how wonderful it is to have such companionship. Remembering these types of things when we gather together, you know, and seeing in Jesus Christ who we are together as a unit. Oh, we should have just such a love for one another in Jesus Christ. To have such companionship. And thank God he has, and he formed this group as it pleases him in his sight. May God add to us such, he, such as he finds fit and continue us on. But thank God he does grant us companionship in these things. To say otherwise, to say that the Lord is not patient or that he does not persevere in his children, in the brotherhood, or in the tribulation or maintaining through sufferings, or in the kingdom or church that he established some 2,000 years ago. To say otherwise is to profane and blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to call him a liar and to, and, to, and, to, and, and, and to besmirch his name, to lower his name, to degrade him. Now, I would say that I have a very high opinion of the Lord and his assembly. I really believe I do. The Isle of Patmos, you look at that, he says, hey, look, because of all this thing, look, I was in the isle that is called Patmos. Well, that island is a rugged piece of bare island out in the Mediterranean Sea. It was used as a prison. Okay. Yeah. And you could do studies on that. Not a, you know, if there was anything that was growing, it wasn't much. Just terrible. They tried boiling John in oil, but that didn't work. He survived that. And he's one of the uh, the only apostle that is that didn't die a martyr's death. He died in, in in an old age, but not because they didn't try killing him. But this isle, it was no vacation. Some people go to the islands for, for a vacation. This was no vacation. Okay. Why did he go to the Isle of Patmos? Why did he go to this bare place in a prison? He says, for the word of God. Okay. For the word of God. For believing it. Sure. There's a lot of folks that say they believe it. We've already read through all of John's writings. We know that he did much more than believe it. Right. If it if it just stopped at belief, if it was just something he had in his mind, there would be no need for him to be at Patmos. Nobody would have put him there. What did he do with the word of God? He preached it. He published it. He encouraged people in it. He spoke of it and he was bold in doing so. In 1 John, we saw those contrasts of, uh, of assurance of believer. And then, you know, it's, it, someone who doesn't have assurance, well, they, they'll be knocked on the heels a little bit. And every place, even with believers, he was encouraging them uh, to, to trust the Lord and to do what he says. That could have been very irritating to an unsaved person knowing John. I'm sure that's all he wanted to talk about. I'm sure that was his life. 
circumstances not known. I don't know why exactly he was on the Isle of Patmos. What exactly did he do or what exactly happened? We'd have to speculate. I mean, we could even throw something in the just as a suggestion. Remember in 3 John, he, he was speaking about diatrophies. What if old diatrophies got his little feelings hurt and he reported him down to the local magistrate and had him thrown into prison? Is that a possibility? It's a possibility. Something had to do with it. Somebody was offended for the word of God that John preached and John lived. That's why he said persecuted. Brother in tribulation or persecution. They didn't persecute him because he wasn't a good cook. They didn't persecute him because he had told too many bad jokes. They persecuted him for the word of God. Yeah. For the word of God, and look at this, this is something different. And for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, for believing it. I saw him. I handled him. I heard him. I walked with him. The Son of God. I saw him dead. I saw him alive. We studied that in the Gospel according to John. Yes, for believing the testimony of Jesus Christ. But so believing it, he was, he was impacted by that testimony, that gospel, that he lived by it. He lived by it. His beliefs was such a part of him that they could not be separated from his behavior. Yes, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He trusted the Lord and did what the Lord told him to do. In doing so, there, I believe there was a lot of opportunity for him to suffer for the Lord's sake. A lot of opportunity. So, that being the case, again, all those things in mind. Now we know John is talking to the seven churches. He says, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation and companion in the kingdom and companion in the patience or perseverance of Jesus Christ. I was in prison for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here's a question. Okay. A couple questions, actually. Being of the brotherhood, am I a companion in tribulation? Well, back up. Are you part of the brotherhood? Because if someone is not a saved person, they can read the book of Revelation all they want. But if they're not part of that brotherhood in Jesus Christ, it is of no, no benefit. There is no benefit outside of Jesus Christ to understand the book of Revelation. People, they like to dig in it because it's mysterious. The world loves movies about it, in the days kind of stuff, whatever. There is no benefit outside of being a child of God in the book of Revelation or any other book of the Bible. So the first question is, are you part of the brotherhood? Have you been saved? Are you, are you blood-bought and a child of God? If so, if you claim to be a child of God, are you a companion in tribulation? Am I a companion in tribulation? Now we see that in measure. I mean, maybe you get laughed to scorn, you know, friends, family, loved ones, neighbors, whatever. Yes. Then the answer is yes. When we go out on our, and by the way, our, our public ministry is out here Saturday. I forgot to mention that in the, in the, in the, in the announcements. So meeting here at 1, over there at 1.30. So as we're doing that, there's people that honk their horns, and sometimes they'll wave, and sometimes they'll do a hand gesture, and people have, have done all kinds of stuff out there. 
Does persecution come? Does tribulation come with that? A measure of it, yeah. Being shunned or whatever, being laughed at, you know. Uh, not that I, I know a fair amount of people in this area, and there's a fair amount of people that have that have mocked. What are y'all doing out there? You know, why don't you try being nice and handing out bottles of water? Why do you got to tell people to repent? Why is that that's so mean? That's the nicest thing that anybody could ever tell somebody. That's right, bro. So y'all are known, whether you know it or not. But it could be that tribulation go from mocking to cruel mocking and scourgings and as it has before. Are we companion in tribulation? We're gonna I believe that we're real close to the coming of the Lord, and I think it's gonna get exponentially tougher if it doesn't I expect it to get tougher day by day. Day by day, it's gonna get tougher. Well, that doesn't mean we recede, that means we stand up, we push forward. Companion and tribulation. We doing what the Lord tells us to do. There will be tribulation. There will be persecution. Are we companion in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? I believe yes. I believe this is the Lord's assembly. And I've told you all this many times. If I were to come to the knowledge that I have been deceived and there is yet an assembly out there that, is, that Jesus Christ started and has continued through time until this present hour, not only would I go, but I would beg y'all to go with me. But I believe uh, I believe the Lord has, has added me to the right spot. I believe this is the Lord's assembly. I really do. That's right. Not a universal deal, not a, a great whore harlot daughter deal, but through time, chain link, we're yeah. here today. I, I firmly believe that. Amen. Again. If I was shown otherwise, I would beg y'all to go with me to wherever that place is. Let's let's be honest about that. I'm not right about everything. I believe I'm right about this. Are we being in the family and in the kingdom of God, companion and perseverance? Are we companion in the perseverance of Jesus Christ? Again, what he has done through his people and continuing through tribulation until the time of his coming that he promised. If preaching the word were a crime today, uh-oh, if preaching the word of God were a crime today as it has been in the past, early in our nation's history in Rhode Island, there was a Baptist colony when they, people would go across the state line and grab Baptist preachers and bring them to other states and beat the fire out of them if they didn't kill them, okay? If preaching the word of God were a crime today, would there be evidence for someone to convict us? Would there be evidence? I believe so, but isn't that a tasty question? Would there be evidence? Is our preaching distinctive of the, from the religion today? There's a lot of folks that they, behind closed walls and among friends, oh yes, we have these distinctives, but out and about, they find common ground with all these people. I'm not saying start a fight or be belligerent. But our preaching should be distinctive from what anybody else hears anywhere else. I mean, it should be because it is, right? I know people, that, oh, yes, we preach repentance, we preach repentance. And then you ask them a couple questions and their whole focus of the ministry is well, the, the, the uh, empowerment of the Holy Spirit and gifts. Well, the focus of their ministry is the Holy Spirit and gifts, and I don't. I believe, I believe the tongues and all that stuff has ceased. Is our preaching offensive? 
The Lord Jesus Christ said he came to bring division, didn't he? He said that. In a house, two against three, three against two. Offensive. The word of God offends, and I don't mean that we should be purposely offensive and call and and and, and you know calling people fat and dumb and that kind of stuff. But offensive, it is offensive. We just studied in in in, in Acts chapter two verses chapter five, pricked or cut. The word of God will cut the natural man. The natural man cuts is cut. Book of Hebrews. Turn there just for a moment. Is our is our preaching distinctive? It's got now. I say this got to be full of love. Yeah. But is it distinctive? And is it offensive? Book of Hebrews, chapter four, verse twelve. For the word of God, not Joe Newell. Not Gary White. The word of God is quick. It's alive. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Any creature. Not just saved people. Any creature. So if an unsaved people is manifest or revealed in his sight by the word of God, what does that do? It cuts them. But all things are naked and open. Child of God will be brought to being pricked in the heart, naked and open before God and the word of God by the spirit of God. An unsaved person will be cut. Unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's a firm reality. So then, the preaching of the Word of God, the Word of God itself, that sharp instrument of God, is it distinctive? Is it offensive? Is there enough evidence to convict us of being placed on Patmos for the preaching of the Word of God? If it were a crime, would you be convicted? Would I be convicted? Second follow-up question. If living for the Lord were a crime today, would there be evidence to convict? Now, people have a different idea of what living for the Lord means. The book of Titus tells us what living for the Lord means. Look at at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what living for God looks like. That, that's what it looks like. In our text the testimony of Jesus Christ, living as a saved person. If living as a saved person were a crime, would there be evidence to convict? Is my living and the love for the gospel's sake distinctive from the religion of the day? There's a lot of religions that have a works theme and a legalistic theme that they're moral people, that they're that they're not they don't break laws and that kind of thing. 
but for the love of the gospel's sake would there be evidence to convict? Is my living offensive for the gospel's sake? Do people, when they're around, the people know, hey, look, don't, tell, don't talk like that, don't do this, don't whatever. Does it provoke even religiously unsaved people? Do religiously unsaved people not like being around you? Peter and the apostles were told by religiously unsaved people, didn't we warn you not to talk in his name? Paul was arrested multiple times. The other uh, apostles were martyred. Jesus Christ was taken by wicked hands and crucified. For living for the gospel's sake, is it provocative against the religiously unsaved? Would there be evidence to convict? So, being in prison, that, that was no new treatment. If you were to read through Hebrews chapter 11 through chapter 12, you see how people, even in the Old Testament, living for the Lord, had mockings and they were sawn asunder and received their, the, the children, their dead, and all these types of things. But look what it said, what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. Book of Romans. We've kind of had it soft in our nation, I guess, for several decades. Romans, Romans chapter 8. Hear, hear, what, hear what the apostle Paul wrote to them. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Mark these words. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. People, oh, I love that verse. Oh, yeah, the Spirit testifies that I'm a child of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Praise the Lord. And joint heirs with Christ. Hallelujah. If so, that we su if so be that we suffer with him. Say, suffer? What? Huh? that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Why was he suffering? Because he didn't pay his taxes? Because he had overdue bills? He had another kid on the way and times were hard? No, he suffered for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if we are indeed brother and companion in tribulation and companion in the kingdom and companion in the patience, these things in varying degrees will be so. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Thank God. Who comforteth comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any tr trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God knowing somebody else is suffering God's with them it sure helps with our sufferings being brother and companion in these things that's what he's talking about for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us so all, so our consolation or comfort also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation or comfort and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. The church of Corinth was also suffering. Why? 
the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you, our expectation of you, is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. They were, they were considering death. Pressed. But we had sins of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by means by, by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Why do we read that? Sufferings. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We study through the book of Philippians. Philippians. Chapter 1. Verse 27 through 30. Only let our conversation or our conduct or our citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Trust the Lord and live like it. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Same story. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Why would they have the adversaries? Because they were standing together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Which is to them an evident token of perdition. But to you of salvation and that of God. So as they were brothers and companions in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, it was evidence that they were saved. It was evidence that they truly were of that kingdom. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, look at that, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. For having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. It's not given for us just to believe and be part of his kingdom and say, oh yeah, life is great, move on. I believe for every believer, it's given for us to believe and also to suffer. Why would we suffer? Should we just afflict ourselves with whips? No. I believe if we're living for him, that suffering will find us. The tribulation will indeed find us. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Yea, doubtless I count, and I count all things but loss for the excellency and of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Boy, isn't that a statement? All things but loss. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. If I take up my cross and I follow him, he promised. We read a while back in John 16, you shall have tribulation. Fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Pressing on. We sing that song from time to time, follow on. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on. Well, ask ourselves. I believe John, in our text, Revelation, he found himself in the Isle of Patmos for following Jesus. There's a lot of places I end up in my life, and I know I wasn't following the Lord. Because I know he wouldn't go there. Children of God, this book, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what it is. Our part in it is to read it, to hear it, and to keep it. Specifically, this book, the setting, that's what the title was, the setting. He wrote to the family of God, particularly the family of God that is in the kingdom, which is in the local assembly established by the Lord Jesus Christ. He had sufferings. He had tribulation. There was patience that was exercised by Jesus Christ, he says, or the, the endurance, the perseverance of Jesus Christ in his faithfulness to his people and keeping his promise. He was there on Patmos in that prison for preaching the word of God and for living the testimony of Jesus Christ, preaching it and living it. If we were to follow the same and truly were to be brother and companion of John, we would also have tribulation. We'd also have persecution. In doing so, the Lord Jesus Christ will exercise his patience and perseverance. He will, And it might be he'll preserve you right to the chopping block, and that's what happened to many of the Lord's people. But he will exercise. He will not fail one of his promises. In all this, we're to trust the Lord and do what he says. The question I ask again, I ask, I ask these questions again, would there be evidence to convict? Would there be evidence to put you and I on pass? So as he's writing these things, and we're going to get into verse 10 next time, it's being in the spirit on the Lord's day and then moving forward. That, that's, a, that's a simple message. And I encourage, I believe every day is the Lord's day. I believe that's the, the Christian Sabbath. You know, Sunday was when it was. Um, I really believe that. But think of all the things that happened because he desired to worship, even in, in, in gross times. You know, that, that setting is very difficult times for John. And the Lord was there and the Lord clothed, just, just the spirit came upon him. I believe if we desire to truly worship God and have re things revealed unto us from the word of God, that we should desire that fellowship and approaching unto the Lord in his day. And we'll cover that more fully the next time. Sinner, I would encourage you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, if you go back to the beginning of that verse, in verse number nine, I, John, who am also your brother. If you're not saved, you ain't his brother. If you're not bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are not of the family of God, not as we know it. There is but one way one can be in the family of God. But one way. We read it in verse 5 last time. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Witness means martyr. And the first begotten of the dead. His death 
and his resurrection is what that speaks of. And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. You cannot separate the love of God from the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. So that blood of Jesus Christ does make one of the family of God. Did Jesus Christ die for you? That's the question. That's the question. If he died for you, then in time, the Spirit of God will make you alive and draw you in faith and repentance unto Jesus Christ. If he did not die for you, he won't. That's God's business. What is before you? It says, wash us from our sins. What is before you is your sins, which you are responsible for. I can't do anything about your sins, but maybe add to them, right? Provoke you in anger or something. You can't do anything of your sins other than add to them. There is only one that can wash one from their sins, and that's not in water. That's right. That's in blood. Wash us from our sins in his own blood. There is one remedy for sin, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to repent. Believe on him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says, These things must shortly come to pass. Chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3 says, For the time is at hand. We can read through these. If we just stayed here for a couple hours, we could read through the entirety of the book of Revelation, and it tells where every single person is going to end up. Even at the presence of God, and all tears be wiped away, and all that kind of stuff. Glory. Or cast alive in a lake of fire. That is an all-inclusive either or. There is no in-between. There is no both. Everyone will be in one of those two places. Someone that is saved will be in the presence of God because Jesus washed their sins away. Someone who is not will be cast alive because of their works and what they have done. Again, I encourage you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look to him. Cry out to him for forgiveness of sins. Cry out to him. For mercy, as that man in the book of Luke, my God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's the only hope. He's the only one that can do it. He's the one that died, yea, is risen again. He can wash away. We sing that song. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. May the Lord grant faith and repentance.